this time, Father. We thank you just for your goodness and faithfulness, Father. How you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, just for how you guide us in your graciousness and mercy, Father. Just leading us in the way of truth, Jesus. We we praise you for that. We praise you that you don't leave us forsaken, God. You will not forsake us even when we forsake you, Jesus. You hold on to us, Father. We thank you for that. That you never give up, Jesus. You never give up. Thank you for that, Jesus. Let's praise you for that, God. Just for this glorious salvation of having a God that never gives up on us, Jesus. We praise you for that, Father. As you call it. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, worship band. Don't worry, I have my Sri Lanka shirt on that's built for very hot and humidity, um, so just getting ready for Sri Lanka as well, so this is what they call an Asian shirt, I think, um, but it's very comfortable, although it might look a little bit different. I also didn't bring my own water bottle, but Joshua helped me out, so I'll be drinking out of this, so don't judge me. Um, Yo, it's... Very encouraging for me when I come to intercession and just in the ministry before and where I feel like a lot of what I felt has been clarified for me and what I'm hoping to, to share about and also what I feel God is leading us into. I'll just jump. Let me just consecrate this time. Yeah, Father, I thank you. Let's consecrate the meditations of my heart and just this time with you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You just lead me and yeah, you just come and open this in our hearts, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those who don't know me, my name is Jacques, one of our elders here with my wife, Nita, and our son, son Joshua, um, and have been here for quite a while and super excited to be sharing with you this morning. So the verse that I have for us today is Joshua 24, 14, verse 15. Um, I'll read for us. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, it's amazing just in terms of backdrop and a bit of context God made promises back in Genesis about the promised land. And in basically this last part of Joshua, it all comes together. In this time leading up to it, God delivered the Israelites um, from Egypt. And he 
took them through this whole journey of giving them victory over the inhabitants of the land so that they can get the promised land. So God has shown himself faithful um, beyond all doubt. I mean, imagine what the Israelites went through um, leading up to this. They went through the Red Sea. I don't know how deep the Red Sea is, but I guess it's higher than this roof. Um, Walking through two walls of water, seeing that happen, then fast forward at another stage, they again go through a river, the river stops, um, builds up, and they can walk through on dry ground into the promised land. We sang a little bit earlier about the walls of Jericho that, that falls down. They saw how when they obeyed God, the walls came tumbling down. So they have seen God as their deliverer and savior by this time. He has shown himself faithful and true. And yet, um, Joshua asks them or puts the choice before them and tells them, listen, you have to choose. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the gods of your fathers or are you going to follow the God that has delivered you up to this point? And it's almost interesting because one would think, hey, it's um, logical, right? You're going to follow God. Yes, we choose him. And they go on to say, yes, we will choose God, but we just see that decision being put before him, before them. And that just speaks to also the exclusivity in terms of serving God. But I also just want to touch with, while we're on that, that beautifully connected to what Diabia shared um, and Stefani. I think when we, I think for many of us in our minds, we are following Christ, we are followers of Christ, not only on our mind, but practically as well. That is what we set our hearts on, is to, to follow him. So he has delivered us. We have seen his salvation already, but there's a place where we need to choose. And I, if, if I had the opportunity or got Stefani's insight in terms of prayer before, and maybe I would have called the sermon something in the line of don't put God on hold. Because we tend to put God on hold for certain times in our lives. Things happen, we get busy, and it's not our intention to say this is on hold forever. It's just we get distracted. We get busy with a lot of things. So what, what God is asking you is exclusive loyalty and or lordship that God says that we should choose. Who do we want as Lord? Jesus in Matthew 6 verse 24, he refers to the same dynamic that we cannot serve two gods. He compares himself with mammon. He says, you cannot serve God or money, God or mammon. You only serve the one. You would love the other and hate. You would love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve two. And that sometimes for us is a, um, a delusion that we can start believing that, hey, I can follow God, and I have some other things. They're not God, but they're almost equally as important. I like how um, Corne Becker puts it, anything that you, asks, that you ask for permission before saying yes to God, that is an idol. That means that is almost higher in rank in your life than God. If you need to think, am I going to follow God in this? And you have to think, okay... What about this, this, and this? You almost ask permission for other things, whether you should follow God. 
That almost speaks to, to that being an idol in your life. And we've seen Jesus say in Matthew 6.24, you cannot follow God or money or two gods at the same time. There needs to be an exclusive commitment towards following God. Now, the funny thing is that I don't always understand, maybe you do, is the fact that God gave us free will. Why didn't he just make us robots? And idea, wouldn't that have been much easier if we just could, the laws completely written on our hearts and we just follow it mechanically and we don't have to think about it, Daniel, if a car gets bumped, it's not a problem. How are you going to react? Because, hey, it's already written into your heart. It's going to be like super Christ-like and perfect. Um, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, why didn't he go that route? I mean, we see that he did that in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, he created them. He informed them that they can have, they can eat of all the trees in the garden. They can have it all. Every tree is theirs. There's just one tree he doesn't want them to eat of. That's all. But he gave them free will and I don't want to say they messed it up, but hey, now we're also born into sin because of that. The Israelites... They were delivered from Egypt, right? We just spoke about that. God delivered them completely. First from slavery, where they basically were almost like robots. They had no free will. Then he took them out of that. And after giving them their inheritance as well, he delivered them. And then he, in a way, restored them from slavery by giving them an inheritance. And he gave them the free will to decide whether they want to obey him, now that he has brought his part in it, he has given everything. There was nothing more in that sense that he could give, if you think about it, and then he said, okay, now you can do what you want. Why would God make himself so vulnerable in that sense, giving us everything and then almost allowing us to decide to walk away if we like? And then for us, with Jesus, I mean, Jesus having come and delivered us from the power of death and sin through the cross, paying for our sins for which we couldn't pay. Nothing that we could do could bring us in any right standing with God. Yet he came and he died for us. He paid for that price. He empowered us through his spirit, but then he still allows us that free will to decide whether we're going to follow him or not. I think maybe he wants real worship, you know. He doesn't want mechanical worship. Otherwise, he would have maybe had robots, AI or something, writing psalms, worshiping him the whole time and doing as he wills. But he wants, he wants the real us to come and worship him. He wants it to be a choice from our side to follow him. So we need to choose. So... We have many choices, um, but what drives our decisions? Everything, yeah, that's all on there. So there's a concept, it's this, this guy, K.A. Smith, that wrote a book, but where he just speaks about what drives our decisions, and it's our idea of a good life. It's almost how God designed us. We have an idea of a good life, of what we want, and not good life in the sense of Cape Town, are bad, don't go for the good life. Just that's how God designed us, shalom. Call it our seeking for shalom, perfect wholeness and peace. And that is our ultimate end, 
telos, another word for goal. So we're designed as people. God designed us with a desire to reach this telos, this ultimate end. And our, in our hearts is where that desire is kept. Um, I mean, contrary to how we think in the Western world, we think it's mind over matter over time. If we, have, if we fill ourselves with a lot of Christian literature and knowledge, I mean, then our hearts are going to be conformed to all the Christian information that we get in, and we're going to make the right decisions and follow God from there. Now, you would remember from um, the Abia Sermon of Romans 7 that which we want to do, we don't do. And we realize that it's not just about renewing our minds in the sense of intellectual knowledge that we need to get or reading all the newest books or getting all the sermons in place. And then when our mind is cleansed from all these worldly thinking, then we'll be set on our way in terms of following God. So it's the desires of our hearts that drives us. And sometimes those desires can be hidden to us. Something else, I think it's also Corne Becker that said, no, it's Tim Keller that said, our hearts are idle factories. Continually uh, manufactures a new idol. It's, it's our way of coping, surviving. We want hope, so we create some kind of idol that we can hold on to, hoping that it would free us. And intellectually, most of us would know, hey, that's foolish. It's only God that can fulfill us. Um, it's only Him that can bring real life. But sometimes the reality of our hearts, the desires of our hearts, is not our intellectual knowledge. The one guy said, spoke of intellectual knowledge and renewing of a mind and said the road to our hearts is much longer than we think, um, meaning that we can renew our minds in that sense, but that reality to, to come to our hearts is not just an automatic process. So sometimes our real desires has been layered with Sunday school answers, you know, right answers, Juan. The things that we know people want to hear. When you speak to Diabia, I want to impress Diabia, right? I want to give him an answer of how I seek to, to labor in prayer. And that might be a, a real valid desire, but underneath that many times there's other real desires that we don't even want ourselves to know about it. We want to almost shove it away and think by shoving it away and layering it with all the right answers, maybe we can get rid of it. Unfortunately, it doesn't completely work like that. I have a picture on there that just shows the idea of, um, of the ultimate end, telos, um, the ideal life, what we see. So we behold that, and then the next picture shows that heart pointing to it. So our heart almost desires something, and it's the telos, ultimate end. I mean, um, I think for us, we would want it to, to be the kingdom of heaven, right? To say our desires, to see kingdom of heaven here on earth as it is in heaven. And we're, we're driven by that. So it makes sense why Proverbs in um, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What happens in your heart is going to end up playing out. You can try and 
bolted down in different ways. I hope it doesn't happen, but somewhere it's just going to come out and you're going to walk according to that. And just that guarding obviously speaks of having like that proactive approach in terms of thinking what is influencing our hearts? What is it that's tugging at our hearts? And, and part of that. To explain this, I have a Google picture on there. So just thinking if, if you're thinking you want to go from Cape Town to Joburg, and, but actually your heart's desire is actually to go to Durban. You know, everyone wants to go to Durban. So what practically will happen and play out in your life is probably you'll stick with this route until you get to Bloom. And then you're going to start feeling uneasy and probably swerve out and go to um, Durban. But all this time, maybe you have been telling yourself, I'm going to go to Joburg. It's the right answer. That's where I want to end up. That's the, that's the tea loss, the ultimate end, the good life. But actually in your heart, what you really desire is maybe to go to Durban. So you will follow, go with a flow if you want to put it that way, in a Christian sense, until where it pleases your idol, so to speak. Not, I don't want to focus on idols, but it does describe that. Just that reality in our hearts. That as long as whether it is the church or those around you is going in the direction that you want it to go, awesome. I mean, who wouldn't want to be in a great community in Cape Town and all in that? And, but somewhere, it's, you're going to see, okay, I actually want to go to Durban and everyone is on the bus to, to Joburg. Um, so there's some desires that drive us. And I've, I've listed a few there. Is, I mean, a desire for success, for providing for our children, a desire for a nice home with a garden, you know, a husband and a wife, desire for education, career that is respectable, doing good things and becoming financially independent. All those things in some way or form. And the nice thing is, I mean, I think our church is also a great place to get lots of those, I mean, including husband, wife, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great things um, with that. But that can easily become diversions in our choosing to follow Jesus. Um, like where we start putting God on hold for those things, where we think, okay, I'm, I'm at least in church. I'm kind of like part of it, but these become ideal ends for us. And we think we're covering it up with Christianity for ourselves. But in the end, that is actually what we want. That's what's going to make us happy. That's what's going to make us feel like complete is when we get those things. And those can so easily just become diversions. I have a few words that I put on there, a few F words. They're all good. Um, but, you know, family, faith, fellowship, finance, fitness, friends, work, all good things, things that I would think in a place of seeking God would be part of your life, but not ultimate things. And for us, it's that place of realizing that those are secondary things and not ultimate things. When we commit to following God, to, to seeking Him, we need all those things needs its place. And I think the deceiving thing about it all is 
we can sometimes find ourselves in a place where we think, you know, those things are things I want to sort out on the side, um, but they almost become primary things. And those things that, where we put God on hold, that takes importance above it. So we need to choose who are we going to serve. Are we going to serve those things? Is those the realities that drives our decision-making when we need to weigh up where are we going to go, what are we going to do, where are we going to stay, who are we going to marry, who are we going to partner with in business or in life or in various different ways. That's what I think on the one side Joshua was also warning against because it wasn't like they were not a, in that sense a call to salvation of choose the Lord as your Savior, but that is primary, but it's almost after having already done that to come to the Lord and to continue making him the primary focus. I almost see it as like an onion with different layers, and as we go through life, there would be different layers that will work through different places where we need to count the cost again in following Jesus. Before you get married, you feel very holy. When you get married, then your unholiness gets pointed out to you through circumstances, not your spouse, of course, but just through circumstances and, and all those things. Um, and then you re to recommit again to following Jesus in this new environment that requires new behaviors for you to be Christ-like. Previously, you had a few things you needed to do to follow Christ in a Christ-like way. Now you almost need a version 2 update. How are you going to remain Christ-like in these circumstances? And we need to count the cost. And I think the danger for us sometimes is we assume once Christian, always Christian. We know that's not completely true, but that's kind of like how we act sometimes. I am Christian. I've done that. I've signed up. I'm following Jesus. I attend church, but when it comes to those different areas of our lives, it can easily become a place where Christ is not at the center. So it requires us to count the cost. In my um, design days, when I drew pictures, I did some prophetic drawings, and I have it on the screen here. Um, it's, it's, it looks good, John Ree, huh? If you start a ministry, I'll be in there, right? Um, so what I saw was like um, a cross on a, on a raft and us wanting to draw near to the cross, drawing near to Jesus, but there was almost like our rafts were drifting away. Even though we were focusing on Christ, over time we were drifting away and it's almost like we, we might not even be aware of that because, hey, a year ago I put these things in place in terms of following God. So surely it is it's still the thing. Just something that I'm thinking of in terms of counting the cost. I heard this one guy explain um, where Jesus sat at the money box and the old lady came and threw in her few coins and then was it a Pharisee or someone that came in and gave much more and prided himself in the fact that he's giving much? And he explained that it's not about how much you give, but how much you have left after giving. It's that the poor woman 
when she gave, she had nothing left. The, the other guy had a lot, he, he still had a lot after giving. And just that idea, when we count the costs, we need to put everything on the table. I mean, there's probably things hidden in our hearts anyway that we haven't addressed, but don't worry about that just in terms of seeking God fully at, in that moment. Um, and just in terms of that undercurrents, it's almost cultural messages or things that tell us how to behave. We've been um, brought up maybe reading books, renewing our minds in terms of what is the right Sunday school answers that we should have when approaching Christ. I mean, not even dear, but just when we pray, we maybe have a lot of Sunday school answers that we have. And you don't have to go to the next slide yet. Um, but almost for us, we all know it, we need to swim upstream as Christians. Not to be against the world or to be contrary to the world just for the sake of being against the world because then we can obviously be on the one side where we're these Christians that just try to take on the world in everything but we're not really being Christ-like. But choosing God almost equates to swimming upstream against modern culture. What's the problem with swimming upstream against modern culture? Don't put on the next slide yet. Sorry. Uh, I, I put in animations, but I realize Chuck's animations are not going to work here. So um, that's why I say otherwise you're going to see the whole picture and not listen to what I'm saying. Um, so swimming upstream against modern culture. Why is that a problem? I mean, because choosing Jesus would lead to suffering, right? Counting the cost is not just a case of counting the cost, but it leads to some kind of suffering, and we don't want to suffer. I mean, choosing Jesus in whatever way in marriage means suffering at least in laying down your own life um, and a lot of things, whether it's in, in other areas the same. It, in some way, is going to lead to suffering just because of the fact that we're choosing Christ. There's suffering that happens to everyone, but then there's going to be suffering that would lead to sanctification. James, what's that, 1 verse 2. James, do you know that verse out of your head? Um, I just want to read it. James 1 verse 2 to 4. Um, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we know that I mean, following Christ, counting the cost, swimming upstream is going to have this effect of there's going to be trials that come with it, and... Um, this is just a bonus, but that testing of your faith is what they, it's, it's the same word they use to purify silver under immense heat. So the um, dirty particles would come up from the silver, they would scoop it up, and then they would do the process over until the silver was so pure that it reflected, I don't know what you call the people that purify silver, but that, that person's face was seen in the silver, and that's what Christ wants for us. He wants his face to reflect through all these various trials. We become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What does that refer to? That refers to becoming Christ-like, that we become pure, lacking nothing. And I just want to get my place here. That's in terms of swimming upstream. Obviously, that's 
one of the reasons why we tend to not go for it. Now, if, if we say we need to die to self, what is the stream that's almost, if we're swimming upstream, what is the stream that we're talking about popular culture? And I almost want to say for Cape Town, there's three things um, that, that I heard. I think it was also Tim Keller that says, number one is you have to be true to yourself. That's a rule the world says you have to do. You cannot compromise on this. This is the mantra of the world. You have to be true to yourself. In the end, whatever makes you happy. You have to do what makes you happy. And no one should tell anyone else what is right or wrong for them. So this is almost that stream that we're swimming up against for what we're coming against that tries to have us choose other gods is... Just do what makes you happy. I mean, it, it almost sounds common sense these days if you walk in Cape Town. It feels like everyone would know this doctrine off by heart and be able to tell it to you in different ways. Every song you listen, social media, comment here, it would probably resound, be around. You have to be true to yourself. Just do what works for you. Don't worry about this. Um, do what makes you happy. And no one should tell anyone else what is right or wrong. We can see how this then almost protects itself against anything that Christ said. And we can see in the next one, um, slide Matthew 16, um, where Jesus spoke directly against this, saying, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So contrary to what the world, in a general sense, would like, want us to believe, to, to die to self, to pick up your cross and follow me. So when we say, referring to Joshua's word of saying, Choose this day whom you're going to serve. This is what it comes down to. It comes down to picking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following Jesus daily. It's a daily process because, like I said, we have different layers in our hearts. Picking up your cross, what you did a year ago in terms of following God full-heartedly is not going to lead to picking up your cross today. You take those learnings and... Um, those truths that God revealed to you in those, that season. But we need to pick up our cross every day and follow him. Because most of us have the intention of following Jesus, but not necessarily, we're not always very intentional about it. We have an idea, our minds are renewed in terms of, I want to follow Jesus, that's my intention, but we're not intentional about it in terms of getting down to the basics, in terms of our behavior. It's like that saying that says we judge others by their intention, uh, others by their behaviors and ourselves only by our intentions. And it's this thing of us wanting to draw near to God. I mean, it's amazing to just hear testimonies how many of us just seeking God in this time and really hungering after him. And I almost want to ask you in this season and years to come, how does that intentionality look in terms of, like Debe said, drawing the line in the sand, realizing that um, 
we're maybe living two lives in some areas. There's other idols competing with that place with God. Turn to your neighbor and shake him. So we see, comes back to having that, what is that ideal life, that telos that we're seeking towards, and what is those desires, that striving arts. Um, we see in Jeremiah 7 verse nine, 17 verse 19 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And it's not to say that, I mean, the dreams God gives us and all those things are deceitful and we cannot trust it, but we need to realize as people, it's a human problem. It's not a God problem. It's as people, we tend to have those idols in our hearts. Um, having desires is not a bad thing. I mean, it's how God designed us. It's an amazing mechanism to think without intellectualism and all that, that design your heart can drive you to accomplish all these things. And as people, we are ultimately really good at getting what we want. I mean, an example of that for me is I remember when Diabias Daniel was still small. He came with a chocolate to Diabia and he said, Hey, you want a chocolate? I thought, Wow, look at the maturity in this child bringing a chocolate to his father, self sacrificial heart in a sense. And I can't remember if Diabia said yes, but I think he said yes. And then he took out his own chocolate and he said, here's one for me. And just the fact that he was engineering this from the start, he didn't come to give Diabia chocolate, he came to get himself a chocolate. But he, he knew he cannot just come and say, I want the chocolate or I'm going to take a chocolate. He knew that he's going to bring his father a chocolate and then his father's going to take the bait, and then he's going to get his own chocolate. And I mean, I can tell you multiple stories like that in our house. If you come to babysit, you'll see it at play. I mean, you think you're going to take them to bedtime, and then they come with an angle, and they tell you how things work, and they start turning you around their finger. They know how to get what they want. Now, if we have a desire, they have a telos said of them, they know, I want the chocolate tonight, and I'm going to get a chocolate. They know how to get, get around us. So saying yes starts from our heart. Saying yes to Jesus starts from our heart. It, it starts with repentance, but it's not only a prayer. Many times maybe we think we're going to repent. We're going to say sorry to Jesus, and then we're going to move on. But in that sense, that's just the start. Repentance means 180 degree turning. So we start with saying yes to Jesus, accepting him with our, with our hearts. And that might be real experiences. That's not a superficial experience in any way, responding with our hearts to Jesus with everything we have. But then as a process of almost call it sanctification, we need to walk that out. And that's that head-heart, hand spot. Um, 
our, our minds needs to be renewed and our behaviors needs to change as well. It cannot just be a thing I'm renewed in my mind. I really desire God in my heart, but my daily behaviors are unaffected by the reality that I profess and, and believe I have. So that's, that's a process, and let's call it sanctification and becoming holy and going through suffering and saying yes and rejoicing in suffering like James um, tells us to. So just that many times we can think that it's only getting information into our heads, um, but we, we cannot stop short at that. We need to, it needs to be a change that comes through our hearts and our and our actions, behaviors, and habits. So we need to almost become intentional in that sense. And the thing is also with just the desires of our hearts, that gets formed by our habits. It's a, it's a different thing, a bit of a sidetrack now, but our hearts' desires get formed by our habits and what we do, um, our actions and behaviors. So sometimes there might be parts that's mechanical to us in terms of, let's say, you want to start your day off waking up early, reading the Bible, praying, seeking God's face. In the beginning, that might feel like a mechanical thing. You're tired. Um, but over time, that habit or um, thing would start shaping your heart. Um, so just also, again, important to, to know what is it that's shaping heart. And to also ask then, where is your desires leading? If we think, what is your NGPS coordinates, if you want to say that? Maybe you're aware of it currently. You just want to be healthy, wealthy, and famous. You know, um, Corne Becker said this. He said, before people come to Christ, they want to be healthy, wealthy, and famous. And then after they come to Christ, they want to be healthy, wealthy, and famous for Jesus. It's... Just we, we keep to tend, we add Jesus onto these idols and things in our hearts that we think are important and we go on with life. I loved how DBS said last week or somewhere that if an unbeliever looks at your life and doesn't find anything funny or strange, then probably you should ask yourself, are you following Jesus? I mean, basic areas is time and money. Where does your time and money go? If you were in a persecuted country and they were to able in some way get your time sheets or where you spend your time, get your bank statements, would they be able to prosecute you and send you to jail or are they going to go, don't worry, we can look at his time, his money, this, this guy is he's not really a Christian, don't worry about him. Um, because that's in the end, we can worship God with our hearts and minds, but those things remain unaffected unsanctified um, by, by the working of Jesus. Another thing is your energy. Maybe you have got your time slots in your calendar and you're spending your time in the different places you, you feel led and your money, but your energy doesn't follow. It's just a ticklist thing. When you get to whatever, intercession, small group, um, prayer time with God, it's like, good God, you can take, if there's something left, Please have some, but otherwise I had a full day. My life is quite full. Um, is, your, is your energy also present when you meet with God and meet with your brothers and sisters? Um, I went to, want to end off for us 
and I know it says discuss, but I, I'm not going to have us discuss it. I want us to take a minute and just note down in the next five to ten years, because that's a bit, normally we plan like three years ahead, we know what we're going to do next and when we're going to do that. Um, so I intentionally skipped that part. So in the next five to ten years, write down on your phone, make notes, what do you want to hope or imagine, what do you want to be, do or want under those three categories. Maybe just make a note of it, we're not going to discuss it, um, just for yourself. Let's take a minute. So how's your reality going to be in five to ten years' time? Maybe the next slide. Maybe you have touched on that, maybe you haven't, but what role is, gonna, is community and fellowship going to play in your life in the next five to ten years' time? Is it going to be a big thing? Is it going to be a side thing, something you try to attend when you get time? Um, God's voice, Holy Spirit, Making time to intentionally listen to God, hear what He's saying, spending time in His presence. How's, how's that going to look? And then the Word. What habits are you going to have in place in terms of that in five to ten years' time? Because the busyness of life is going to happen to all of us, right? Um, if we don't intentionally focus on those things first, uh, there's going to be other things that come and fill it up immediately take a few seconds go through those three points and just think how's how's that going to look in that time how do you see that Then, as we are closing, I mean, I think the big thing that I want you almost to take away from this is to be aware of what is the real desires in your heart. Where are they leading? Um, 
and to also realize that sometimes we have desires that um, would override what God is saying in our lives because we've made it such big things. We've always dreamt of having this big house with grass and a white picket fence and a Labrador running around and, and all those things. And if we're not careful, we're going to choose that above God's leading in our lives to be intentional about our lives, about where we're going. We don't have to be doing this assessment every day, um, but every now and again just to, to ask God, where are you going with this? And almost see it as like with Nehemiah. This, in Nehemiah, they, they built the wall. He went back to rebuild the wall, but there were many people that came against him that wanted to, to destroy parts of the wall and what they were doing. And then at one stage, they had to build with the one hand and they had to have a weapon in the other hand. And when we're following God, it's not always just looking at all, at all the woes and um, f uh, traps out there in terms of avoiding the world. That would be foolish because, I mean, our real reward is Christ himself. But there's a part where we need to build, invest, seek God, pursue him, follow him. But then where we also need to be wise in terms of protecting against things those undercurrents that we might not be aware of under the surface, that's slowly pushing our lives in a certain direction, whether it's work or family or whatever it might be, but that's slowly forming our lives for us instead of us choosing to follow Christ. So yeah, with that, the worship band, you can guys, you can come forward. Diabia extended the invitation also, just to come and chat to him about that word. If you have feel you're, you're living two separate lives, you want to draw the line in the sand, but also want to encourage you if you want to respond after this. If there's areas where God's lordship, you realize there's areas that you want to consecrate in prayer with someone, um, just in terms of that's not under God's lordship in your life. And where you've been putting God on hold in your life. Maybe you thought you just have a project or something that you want to get done. You're just going through a busy, tough time. You're putting God on hold. Um, the Word tells us that as we repent, uh, we get refreshed. I want to invite you in that as we stand, we can switch over lights and oh dear, you guys can lead us in worship. And If there's anyone, then you can just come to the front or agree with someone. Now just in for Father, we come and thank you for this time. Father, we thank you just for our hearts. You, you value it immensely, Father. You value our presence immensely, Father. And where there's things that steals our awareness of your presence in our lives, Father, you come and show that to us, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, just for your faithfulness in leading us in truth. Thank you just for that as we just intend to a time of worship. Your presence is all I need. It's all I want. It's all I seek. And without it, without it, 